0: I want to start this message today with a really kind of off-the-wall question. And um, if you know me, off-the-wall is pretty normal for me, but I'm going to ask this question. Are you aware of any people in your life who just frankly don't like you? Do you have any of those in your life? Is there just somebody who you're pretty much sure that they don't care much for you? You walk in a room, you can kind of see it in their face. You can kind of tell it in their attitude. There's something about you that gets on their nerves. And I would venture to guess that almost all of us have somebody in our lives like that. You're not their cup of tea. And that's just the way it is. And, and you've had to come to grips with that. And let me tell you, for some of us, that's harder than for others. Some of you are laughing like crazy because you don't care. You know, now I'm not trying to say that's a little harsh, maybe. But it doesn't bother you as badly as it does some. There are some of us that brings real pain to us. What do you mean that person doesn't like me? How can you not like me? You know, we kind of get that kind of in our hearts. But for whatever reason, they just don't. And to be fair, I would And I'm not a betting man, but I would almost bet if I were that almost all of us in this room that have someone in our lives like that, that don't care for us, probably have people in our lives we don't like either. And I want to suggest something to you that for me is good news. I want to suggest to you that when the Lord God created you, when he made you, he was he was pleased with what he created. He's good with who you are. That he actually likes you. You see, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter three, I'm sorry, two, verse thirty one, that when Jesus, when God created the first human beings, he saw all that he had made and he called it very good. Now, you got to understand something about the word of God that makes me laugh. I love this about the word of God. It is it is wonderful about understating things. Okay, so because God will uh, the, the word of God will say something like it was very good. Let me tell you, that's a big deal that God looked at what he made and he called it very good. It's always almost always in Scripture understated. But when he created you, when you were born, he loved you and he loves you now. And he desires for you the best version of you. So I said all of that to say yeah, you may have some people in your life who don't care much for you, but God's good with who he made. That he loves you. And we we want you to know that. This is the second week now in a series that we started uh, called The Me I Want to Be. And in this series of messages, oh, I like that. Somebody awed that. Um, in this series of messages, we're considering... How we can truly live life in such a way as to be the me I want to be or the best version of me. And we are remembering what God's word tells us in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. This is the verse for the series. I love this verse. It tells us this for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I said last last week to you that this verse has a lot to say about you. It tells us first that you are created by God. And so whatever you are, as you sit here and you kind of do your personal inventory, God meant for you to be the way you are. I'm talking about the best version of you. God made that. If you're a shy person, guess what? God wanted you to be. And you don't have to be not shy. Because that's who you are and that's why God made you that way. There's a purpose behind that and we'll get that. If you're an extrovert like me who talks to everybody, annoys everybody in airports, then then that's exactly what God wanted me to be. Maybe not annoying, but talkative. And if that's who you are, then then just know that you were made the way you were by God, by his design and his proving purpose for your life. And the best version of you is found in the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. I heard somebody say this in Sunday school. I so appreciated this comment. They said, I see God when I see people doing the works that God has given them to do. And man, that's such a great statement. And that's exactly what this verse says about you, that God not only created you and made you for a purpose and has a purpose for your life. He's already got planned out some really cool stuff for you to be involved with, where you get to be the best version of you. And may I just tell you something? The best version of you is really, really cool. And you get to see little glimpses of that every once in a while. You'll do something. You say, hmm. Not bad. That came from me. I did that. You know? And and that's okay. I, I, we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But the best version of you is what God had in mind. It was his plan for you. That's what this verse tells you. That there is a version of you that God created. He had this in mind when he made you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 tells you that you he was present in the womb of your mother when you were being put together and God knit you together. So... That's why I've always kind of joked around and encouraged people when I use this verse or share this verse to look at somebody and say, I have an amazing body because God made it. Please allow me to share a few more claims from the word of God and and what it has, what it makes uh, the word of God, the claims that it makes concerning your life. I want to take you as we are in this theme to Psalm chapter 92, verses 12 and 13. I love what this says too. the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like the cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of the Lord. And the word that I want you to capture here is the word flourish. I want you I want to say to you that it is God's design for you in your life to live a life that flourishes now to flourish is more than just hanging out and existing. Amen? It's more than that. To flourish, it, is, it means to pour out life. It is to receive life from God and to pour it out, to flourish with your life. Fruit trees that flourish produce great fruit, and it's delicious, and it's beneficial. They grow, and their lives are productive, and they're beneficial. That's flourishing. The opposite of the word flourish would be languish. The word languish just means to kind of exist and to not produce any fruit. If a fruit tree or some kind of plant is languishing, it's not a good thing. They barely survive. They just exist. And there's nothing to prove life is in them. There's no point really to their lives because they don't grow. They fail to thrive and they fail to flourish. I want you to hang on to that imagery in your mind for just a second because I want to add to this because the Lord Jesus added to and validated what this was talking about, uh, this, this whole passage of Scripture. I want to go first to the book of John. Jesus made some statements in the book of John that I want us to look at. First, The first statement I want us to see was something he said to a woman who had made an absolute disaster out of her life. She was not flourishing She was languishing, and when she met Jesus, she had, I mean, her scenario was as bad as it kind of gets. This poor woman had been through five husbands. She had, uh, from what I can understand and ascertain from this, she had been through five failed marriages and now was living with another man. When Jesus meets her by a well and Jesus comes to her and he begins to minister to her. And in a conversation that they had in John chapter 4 verses 13 through 14. Here is something you'll read. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Pointing to the well, speaking of the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And just a few chapters later, Jesus stood up among a crowd of a festival, a great crowd of people. And he said with a loud verse in John chapter seven, verses thirty seven and thirty eight with a loud voice. Listen, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice that anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, a scripture has says rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus here confirms and, in fact, elaborates on the concept found in Psalm 92, that idea of flourishing. He said that through him, any person could have all of their emptiness and their dryness satisfied and, beyond that, have life welling up from from within them, out of them, and pouring out like a river pours. Now, that is flourishing 2.0. And that's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, you will flourish. If you live in me, your life will pour out life. It will gush out from me. And I want to ask you, my dear friends, is your life closer to flourishing or languishing? Which me do you want to be? Do you prefer a me who flourishes and gushes out life or the me who languishes with no joy, no direction, complete emptiness and no purpose? Of course you want to be the me who flourishes, who here wouldn't sign up for having life in their life. Amen. And I got good news for you. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it in abundance where it just kind of gushes out like that. You see, what happens to so many people, the reason why we end up languishing is what he, the rest of what Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, when he said, the thief comes, speaking of the devil, to steal from you all of your joy. And in fact, he takes your life away. And when he leaves you, you're languishing. But I came that you can have a life that flourishes. A life that's full of abundance. And here, look at me for a second. That is not Pastor Ken saying God's going to make you physically rich. I'm talking about a richness that goes far beyond possessions. Amen. I'm talking about flourishing. I'm talking about having a pep in your step because of the joy of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that—that that is what I vote for for me. I'd rather flourish. I'd rather enjoy the presence of God. I'd rather have a good time and have people look at me and say, what's wrong with him? I like that. And I've had that experience and, I, and, and I'm not bragging. It's just a, an awesome experience. I, st- I still remember one of the first times where it really began to, to, to just come out of me and it was, it was not contrived. It was not made up. It goes way back to the days when my dad taught me a trade. And before I was ever a pastor, I was a drywall finisher, and I was one of those stilt walking guys who would sand drywall. And by the way, if that's on your bucket list to sand drywall for a whole day, scratch it. It's no fun. It's not fun. It's hard work and you get tired and you get covered in dust and you eat it and it cakes up in your eyes and all that. But I was a drywall finisher and I, I did all of that. And sometimes that can be hard physical labor. And sometimes, you know, when you're working, it's very, very hot outside. And I, 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 was, I was one of those guys. I worked for a company of about 100 people and I was one of the drywall finishers. And and I can still remember uh, being a very young man at that time. I was in my 20s and I was doing that. I was paying off bills as I I went along and and I'd go to work and I would just do what I did. And I would be sometimes on jobs where there would be several others on the job from other trades and also from our company. And I don't know how many times it happened, but but definitely more than once. I would have somebody walk into the house I was working in or 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 uh, a room or area that I was working in. And I literally have had people walk up to me and say, hey, can I ask you a question? And Sure. No problem. What? What's wrong with you? What is your deal? And I would say, What are you talking? Mean, what do you mean? What is my deal? And they said, Well, you know, something's not right about you. You come in here and, and, and you're humming and you seem to be happy and you're doing drywall, dude. You know, what's, what's your problem? You have a mental illness or something? And that's how they would come at me. And all that was happening was that I was living in Christ and I was flourishing. And I was just being me. I was just being being joyful because of what God has done for me. And it would give me opportunities to say, if you really want to know, I'm happy to tell you. And sometimes they went out almost running. <laughs> but I got to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I would get nicknames on job sites sometimes. If I had to be at a complex or something for a while, some people would say, oh, that guy must be a preacher or something. And it's... A, it happened that I did preach. I didn't tell him I was a preacher. that I didn't have to. Because I was able to live a life where I was flourishing. And I used to say I was just dumb enough to enjoy the presence of God. And and so I'm asking you to consider what Jesus said here. These are powerful statements that you could have that kind of lifetime. May I just ask you um, j- just to to consider the concept. When was the last time somebody walked out, walked up to you and commented something like, man, you've got rivers of life flowing out of you. I don't think that's happened a lot to me here of late, but I'm just saying, you know, when when was the last time people noticed that there was something about you? And I want to challenge you with that. Now, listen, if you weren't able to be here for last week's message, when I launched this series, I'd urge you. I don't often do this, but I urge you go on our website and listen to the message, because I spent a a fair amount of time talking to you about being the me I don't want to be. And we saw the enormous struggle of the Apostle Paul with failing to be the me he wanted to be. In Romans 7 he talked about how the good he wanted to do he didn't do and the bad he didn't want to do, he was doing it. And why he was struggling with it and how sin played a part of that. And and we saw though what happened and what it is to to be the me that we are designed to be and how God worked in Paul's life. Please remember, God is good With who you are. He may not be good with some of the things you are doing. He may not be too good with the way you are using your life. But he created you to be who you are. And he is good with that. And he wants you to be made into the best you that you can be. In giving you the personality he gave you. There was purpose to it. And he wants you to be you. And he does address the fact that you're not being the person he has designed you to be. Listen, here's something we need to to know. If we are struggling with not flourishing and we're languishing, let me just say something to you. Trying to will yourself to be the me I want to be, to do it just by your own strength and your own will, is like trying to row a rowboat fast enough to tow a 200 pound man to water ski behind you for two miles. You ain't got the strength. I know that's really good English, isn't it? Good grammar. But you can't do that. And we can't will ourselves to be the me that we are built to be. But I have amazing news for you today. There is grace for you to be. There is grace. Just as he promises, God made a way for you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. And that is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me take you back to John chapter 7 where Jesus on the last day of the feast stood up and made this amazing statement, living water. or or a river of living water will flow up uh, out from within you. Go to the very next verse in verse 39, and let me read this to you. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The work of you becoming the me that you are meant to be is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the power comes to live a life that flourishes... As opposed to a life that just languishes. And I don't know about you. I've had my share of languishing. And I hate it. I want to flourish. I want life to be inside of me. And I want to be the best version that I can be. And the power for that to happen happens as the Holy Spirit works in us. He is the well that wells up within us and and flows out of us. He is the river that comes up out of us. It is God showing up when he is working that way in us and we are flourishing. And that is God's plan for you. He wants to so fill you with his spirit that you flourish and that people go what is their deal god wants you to stick out like a sore thumb like a light in the darkness as you flourish for his glory that's his plan and that's your best version of you i like what john Arkbird said when he described this all and uh, i like him as an author he said god made you to flourish To receive life from outside of yourself, creating vitality within yourself, and then producing blessing beyond yourself. That's a good statement. That's worth reading again. Flourishing is not measured by outward signs such as income, possessions, or attractiveness. Thank God I'd be in trouble. It means becoming the person he had in mind in creating you. So what if we're not there? What are we to do if we find that instead of flourishing, we are languishing? What if there is a big gap between the me that we are and the me that God created us to be? I would say to you, just as there is grace through Jesus Christ to fill the gap between a sinful human being and a holy God, there is grace through the Holy Spirit to fill the gap of the languishing person to the flourishing person. There may be a gap there, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit is ready to take you across that gap and empower you to be who God has always intended for you to be. I want you to, to, to look with me at a person in the Bible To whom that grace was given. A person who knew what it meant to languish spiritually. A person who knew what it meant to fail God miserably. And then watch as God's grace works in his life. And watch what God turns him into as God works in his life. We're going to look at a couple of snapshots, and I ask you just to bear with me. I know that this sermon is structured a little bit different than I usually preach, but this is what the Holy Spirit gave to me. I'm, I'm giving it to you the best I know how. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 33, and we're going to look at a person here and a snapshot of a person here whom God brought a long ways. Jesus told them, and just to fill that in, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, his followers, his closest men. This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the sheep and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But I, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in the Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will capture this picture. Jesus has just said something that was just very, very difficult for his disciples to hear. He's in an intimate setting with them, and he has them alone. And Jesus has been saying to them and and trying to get across to them, I am about to be crucified. He said it very plainly. And they're saying, oh, no, over our dead body, nobody's taking you, Lord, and crucifying you. And Jesus is saying, no, this is in the prophecies about me. This is written about me. It's going to happen. And then he drops this bomb. And every one of you who have been my closest confidants, my dearest friends, every one of you are going to fall away from me and you're going to desert me and I'm going to suffer alone. And Peter is there saying, not going to happen. And don't. This is I'm not trying to be too critical of Peter, but in an arrogant way, Peter says, I don't care what the rest of these guys do. No matter what they do, I'll die with you if I have to. But you're not going to be alone. I'm not falling away. Capture that picture. He is saying these guys might be cowards, but I ain't no coward. And I'll die if that's what I have to do. I am not going to leave you, Jesus. I am not going to fall away. I'm going to be your friend. No matter what happens, you will be who you are to me. My deepest friend. I love you. And there is no way I'm falling away. And I don't have to really read the rest to you, but we're going to look at it because we need to see the the difficult snapshot. You know it was a matter of hours that Peter finds himself standing in a courtyard And Jesus is being tried, and he's already been pounded upon. And there is a crowd of people there who sees Peter, and they begin to eyeball him pretty hard. And they begin to, in a very accusatory way, say, you belong with this guy. I want you to see the snapshot. Matthew chapter 26, the same chapter, several verses later, 73 through 75. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Listen to this. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Some here probably have an inkling of what Peter felt as that rooster crowed. And it hit him. Peter was now experiencing one of his nevers. And I think we've all made these statements before. I'll never be that. I'll never do that. I might be this. I'll never do that. And Peter now just realized the horror of horrors. He had done the thing that he stood and said, I don't care what these other guys say or what they do. I'm going to be there with you. And he found himself calling curses down and saying, I do not even know this man you're talking about. And I wonder what was going through Peter's mind as he was weeping. I often thought about this and how painful it was. And I'm sure there were a lot of things going through his mind. But I wonder if he wasn't thinking to himself. I wonder what Jesus would say to me now. I told you you would do this, you idiot. That's kind of how it would be in my my little self-dialogue. That would probably be the nicest term I would come up with for myself. I could imagine Jesus saying to, to me if I were in Peter's shoes here. Um, how could I ever trust you again? I can't trust you. I can't rely on you. And I had been one of his closest friends. And I wonder if Peter could envision Jesus looking at him saying, "Peter, I can't trust you anymore." And I wonder if it occurred to him that Jesus might look him in the eye one day and say to him, "Peter, I had a ministry for you and a wonderful life, but you're not fit. You're not worthy to be a minister." You can't be a minister. You, you bailed at, the, at the, my darkest hour. You left me. I can't put ministry into your hands. You're not fit. And you know the story if you know the Bible here. And if you don't, just bear with me for a second. Jesus was crucified. And Peter saw that. And for Peter for a while, it was, this is how it ended for me and Jesus. Watched my Savior die and I denied knowing Him. And I'm sure that Peter felt like this tall. And then comes the news that Jesus is alive again. And Peter wrestled with that, as you know. The rest of the disciples wrestled with that. How can he be alive? But Jesus confirmed it. And then there was the morning or the night, the evening when. They had been holed up together because, listen, the same people who killed Jesus hated them. And they were hiding. That's what they were doing. And Peter's there with a group of the the disciples. And I don't know why exactly he reverted to this. We've looked at this before. But at some point, Peter said, look, I'm going fishing again I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. That's what I am. And I'm going back to my life before I I, I ever met Jesus. I'm just going back. That's all I'm ever going to be. I'm just a fisherman. That's all I'm good for. And so some of the other guys said, yeah, we'll go with you. And they're out there fishing. And standing on the shore early in the morning after they fish all night and catch zero. There's a man and he's cooking breakfast. They probably could smell it. And he yells out to them, hey, guys, did you catch anything? (laughs) And I can hear the frustration in Peter's voice, no, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. And then Jesus bids them to come in and John recognizes (laughs) who it is because this is deja vu. You remember I preached about this before and and light bulb comes on in John's head and says, wait a minute, that's the Lord. And Peter, a man of impulse, not thinking, just dives right in and swims ashore. And I don't know when it happened, but when the fish are there, and, and by the way, Jesus told them to catch, catch fish. That's when it happened, when John says it's Jesus. Jesus said, throw the net over on the right side, and you'll fill up your net, and they did. And it was then when John said, that's, that's the Lord. So they bring fish up and Jesus said, just put it on the fire. We'll cook these up. We'll have breakfast. And I don't know when it occurred to him. But I I think there was a moment when Peter then came back to his senses. And when he got over the fact that it was amazing that the Lord was right there alive again. He began to think, oh, wait. I denied him. What's he going to say to me? And in this breakfast meeting. Jesus looks at Peter and he reinstates him. And not one time did Peter hear, I told you, you would deny me, you idiot. He never heard that. And not one time did Jesus look at him and say, Peter, I don't trust you. I can't trust you. Can't rely on you. Nope. Never came out of the Lord's mouth. And never once did, did Jesus say to him, you're not fit for ministry. Not one time. Instead, what Jesus did there was reinstate his man and say, Peter, when I created you, I made you to be a a fisher of men. And when I created you, I made you to take care of my sheep and my lambs. I made you for this. So, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. And that's the grace that I want you to see. Now, Jesus would leave and he would give specific instructions to the disciples. Before you go out to minister, now Peter's fully restored. What an amazing moment. Before you go out and you minister to anyone, Peter, I want you and the rest of the disciples to wait on me in prayer in an upper room. And you're going to be filled with my Holy Spirit. And they are praying in Acts chapter 2. And they're seeking God for him to help them flourish. They don't even know that that's what they're praying for. But they're seeking God and they're saying, you told us to wait before you. You told us to wait until we are endued with power. So we're here and we're right with God. I'm reinstated. I'm reinstated as a minister to the Lord. And Peter is in there praying and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind inside of the building. And they look up and they see a miraculous sign, tongues of fire coming down upon them. And they are filled with the Holy Ghost as the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable, my friends. It's right in the Bible. And it's what God did so that they would begin to flourish. And right away, as soon as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it began to gush up like a well within them. It began to flow out like a river coming out of them. And I'm getting happy in the Lord. And they began to, to prophesy and to speak in languages that they had not learned because God empowered them to do it. And the people within the city heard God's powerful message being proclaimed. And more than 3,000 people were saved because they were flourishing in the Lord. But I want you to see one more snapshot. After that occurs in Acts chapter 5, a powerful thing is happening. Acts 5 verses 12 through 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. And no one else joined there, joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Listen to this. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. As they passed by, crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those uh, tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Talk about flourishing. The shadow of the man of God, this man who stood and denied knowing Jesus just months before, just weeks before. Now as he walked by and a shadow would go over somebody who was sick, so much of the power of God flowed out of him that they were healed. That's called flourishing, my friends. And that was to me that God had in mind when he made Peter. This impetuous man who had a, a hoof-and-mouth disease as bad as any human being ever had. Peter was constantly getting in trouble for stuff he would say and and the, his bold and brashness. But there was a purpose in the way that God made Peter. And until he got from being the man God wanted him to be, he was struggling and languishing in his own self and his selfishness and all that. But once the Holy Spirit was given, grace was given, and a gap was filled, and Peter was taken from the man he didn't want to be over to being the man that God had intended him to be. And his life changed from there on. And you're looking at me, some of you, and saying, that's great for Peter And that was back then. And this is 2016, and this is a different day, and I'm 17. And this is, I love it how I test you guys, and you're right on it. You're right on it. I can't trip you up. This is 2017. I know that, and you know that. But what I want to say to you is the principle that I am preaching to you applies to us today. And you can flourish. For the glory of God. And what would it look like? Can you imagine? What it would look like. If our church. Our people. Began to flourish. For the glory of God. What if his power. Were poured into us. And rivers of life. flowed out of us. What if we started living. The abundant life. That God has intended us to live. Would it make you richer? I have no idea. But it would make you more effective. Amen. I don't want to, by human effort, try to win people to Jesus. You hear me? Because human effort doesn't save people. The only one who saves them is God. The only one who saves them is the Holy Spirit and his work. He draws people. I do want to be involved. I want people to look at me and say, what's his deal? And I want them to be curious. And I want the Holy Spirit in me to reach them. I want that. I want to flourish. And I, I want to be the best version of me that I can be for God's glory. And God has that plan. I think about that huge gap between the Peter in Matthew 26 and then the Matthew uh, Acts chapter 5. That's a gap that was filled with the grace of God. There is grace to be. And I want to live in it. I am so thankful that the Lord provides that. Now, what's our reason for not flourishing then? Is it because the gap between the me I am and the me God created me to be seems to be too big? Ah, there is grace for that through the Spirit of God. When anyone is ready to submit to God's plan for their life and when anyone is willing to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be filled with God's Spirit and I want to live my life your way. You will receive that grace. Not I told you so. Not I don't trust you. Not you're unfit. Just God's grace. It's a free gift. And the problem is. A lot of us don't want to seek it. Because we're just so scared of what God would do with our lives. (laughs) And I just want to tell you. Flourishing beats languishing every time. And I'm just ready to flourish. That's all. I've lived way more than half my life unless God does a miracle. And if he does, I'll be 120 in 60 years. But more than likely, I've I've already spent at least three quarters of my life here on this earth. I'd like to finish strong. I'd like people to say, what is that guy's deal? What's up with him? I'd like that. I like it when people look at me and go, huh? You know, that's cool. I like that. In all all seriousness, folks. Aren't you ready to flourish? Aren't you ready for a life full of life? Aren't you just ready for God to do what God does in your life? And don't you want to be the very best version of you that you can possibly be? You've seen glimpses. God's let you see that when you when God, the spirit has directed you and you have done something and you walk away saying, man, I I sense God's presence in that. When God has used you in some way, something came out of your mouth and, and, and some wisdom came out of you and you say to yourself, How, where did that come from? I don't think I read that in the book. I love that when God does that, right? Those moments when you see the best version of yourself, I believe we can flourish. I believe we can be fruitful and we can be godly and we can be who God would have us to be. Yes, in 2017 in Northampton, Pennsylvania, it's possible to flourish. And I'm ready. I want it to be.